in these trying times. The world in crisis, panic in the streets. What we need more than ever is a hero or a pair of heroes. And that is why in this unprecedented global crisis, your beloved once and future Kajusaurus Podcast Boys are back. Welcome back to the Kaijusaurus podcast, the podcast that at one point featured a lifelong fan of Godzilla and Kaiju movies, watching and reviewing all the films in the Godzilla canon with a blank slate slash newbie. I am Stephen Sloss, the lifelong fan. And I am Ross Menzies, the newbie. But old not much of a newbie anymore. An, An old, old bee. bee. Yeah. A mid bee. <laughs> It's um, nice to see you, Ross. Yes, it's good to see you too, Stephen. We are we're we're beaming across the galaxy, across the yeah. stars, uh, via voice chat and video chat. It's a it's 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 a comfort in these trying times to see your your lovely wee face. It is. So basically, what happened was all the world governments got together and basically asked us to come back and do another episode. And we thought maybe we would do another April Fools, but we thought that would be cruel. We couldn't do that to you. Since the world we... needs the Kajasaurus podcast boys at their most sincere, which, you know, is not really a lot. No, we are but... always sincere, always serious, all the time. Everything we say in this episode, you have to take as a full face value. Same as for every other episode. Nothing we say is in jest. <laughs> no, Guaranteed. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. We're the same. But yeah, we thought we would come and we would spend our time with you. We would give our precious time to you in your hour of need from our, our isolated fortresses, which are well stocked <laughs> and supplied. <laughs> Um, and by the time you hear this, the the whole Kajasaurus podcast back archive will be will, will be back up and available. Um, it wasn't. It's not been available for a wee while now because uh, I just got lazy and didn't yeah. renew the SoundCloud uh, hosting. And to be honest, I didn't. It's going to be a bit self-effacing, but I didn't renew it because I didn't think anyone was really bothered. Um, but I've had a few people here and there say to me, "Oh." I can't listen to this. I can't listen to that. And so, yeah, because I, I, I just said to Ross the other day there, like, we should probably put it back up. And then that was when the idea came. Let's just, if we're going to pay for it, we may as well get something out of it. Exactly. That's, that was, yeah, yeah, so yeah. Throw something up. Yeah. Up. This is just a little, a little office hour, a little touch base, a little, uh, yeah. a little hello little through the window. Base. Exactly. Uh, so yeah, it's been it's been almost oh shit, it's been over a year. Yes, uh, by just a few days. Um, and it's been two years since you properly. And nothing uh, has yeah, changed. You know what? That's, the that's world nonsense. is the same. The, the Mamma Mia episode was fucking brilliant. It was. We, what started as a hilarious prank, uh, I think, it became a genuinely excellent and sincere film discussion of an underrated gem 
Yeah, I agree. I think honestly, it was probably one of our best episodes. <laughs> it was certainly, it was certainly one of the episodes where I felt like I was making the most sense, and everything I was saying was uh, legible and most, understandable. Yeah, you had the most to say in that episode. I, I honestly had so much to say in that episode. And when when Mamma Mia three comes, we will be there. Mamma Thria. Mamma Thria. Here we go again, again, again. Here. But that was funny seeing because when. <laughs> humble brag when you uploaded that episode ross i was i was in japan yes. on my honeymoon uh so i just got to you know the way you want to spend your honeymoon sit back and enjoy the reactions to your latest podcast episode but i enjoyed the reactions because there was a lot of there was a lot of sincere like in the first instance sincere like people were happy about it there was a lot of like celebratory gifts that sort of thing on the facebook page and on twitter and then like an hour or so later like after they'd listened to the episode there was like oh thanks guys when are you doing the real one when are you doing the real one uh here's the real joke never (laughs) (laughs) i mean yeah i mean i think people will be maybe wondering if we're going to do more um like movie reviews and movie uh, updates and things and the answer is maybe if you like you know what well i was i was actually gonna i i meant to broach this subject with you beforehand instead of just tossing it on you oh live on air (laughs) live on air yeah under pressure um but i mean if we're gonna if we're paying for another year of hosting i mean it's at a severely discounted rate thank you soundcloud um i don't know yeah. Me as well. Some like, more, some more kaiju stuff. Some more other movie stuff. We could kind of do some generalized things. We could look. I mean, at some, we've got bugger all else going on. Yeah, I mean, this is true. We could do. Um, yeah, we could do some other movies in the sort of general kaiju world. Yeah. We could turn the tables. I could introduce you to something. I don't know what yet. We could do. <laughs> all you know, we of, love a tangent. We could do all of Coronation Street, famous beloved British <laughs> soap opera. And it's sixty year it's sixty year reign of television. We'll do all of those. Fucking hell. Um Honestly, for its sixtieth anniversary, Coronation Street should do like a kaiju attack. Oh my god, yes. They've already done a a, a, a gruesome train crash episode, so like, you can just up the ante on that really. Ken Barlow falls into a, a vat of radioactive waste and lays waste to Weatherfield. And then the, the, the pub is turned into like a, a mech. sort of mecca. The Rover's Revenge. <laughs> <laughs> this is perfect. Write it. Cut it. Print it. It's sold. And the the, the AI on the in the Rover's Revenge mech is the spirit of Deirdre Barlow. And oh they have God, her glasses yes. on the dashboard. Yeah, the power, the, the, her power sort of fuels it. <laughs> She's still in the machine somewhere. The ghost in the machine. Um... So what have you been up to? Um, well, in these immediate Since, times, I, I, I mean, we should set the, the context for our non-UK listeners. We are, are, are presently in a, a sort of a, a period of lockdown. So um, many of us... This is the, this is the Kajasaurus podcast's first ever uh, remote recording, right? Yes, exactly. Only done when we strictly always... necessary. We at the Kaiju Podcast Society strive for quality face-to-face contact and have deemed <laughs> uh, this method... Uh, acceptable replacement in these trying and difficult times. But yeah, this is indeed... Sorry, we need to do it properly. This is the Kaijusaurus podcast. Lockdown! Quarantine Kaiju... 
Quarantine catches on his podcast. Biff that one. Quarantini boys. But yeah, so for general um, context of where we are and what's going on, we are in a lockdown. There's a little virus going around. I don't know if you heard about it. Um, we are being asked to stay in our homes. Key workers and, and, and sort of grocery trips are really the only reasons that you'd be heading out outside or for your sort of government mandated uh, period of going a short walk in the day. That's where we're at just now. Um, you know, and I feel like Steve and I don't want to labour into uh, these bum notes too much. Uh, and I'm sure you are around the world are, if not in a similar position, are, are certainly still feeling a, a sense of generalised unease or anxiety about the, the weeks and months ahead. So we're here to, to soothe and balm your tired mind. <laughs> uh, just chat shit for a bit, I think. Imagine and you're in the I don't lockdown. know. Hope, hope, hopefully, hopefully, bring a a little comforting presence. Just, I don't know. I really believe in the power of distraction, and if we can just distract you for I don't know an hour or so, then Looking job well great. done. Job yeah. well done, Ross. But to to basically to answer your question, Stephen, I've, I've been in lockdown for about two weeks. Uh, I haven't been at work, which has been pretty good. I am lucky enough to um, have a situation where. I don't need to be working at this precise moment and my work's looking after me for the time being. Uh, me which too. means I have been farting around. I haven't been doing much. Um, obviously, like many of us, I'm sure I had grand ambitions of doing this and that and reading and writing a lot. I have read, read and wrote a little and I have watched a bunch of TV and I've played a lot of games and in many ways just doing, done what I've always done. So it turns out that the answer was not me not having <laughs> enough time. And that's something that I have to reckon with. Oh, mate, me too. Like, that's what uh, Laura and I have been doing. My wife, Laura, yes. by the way. The first time I can say wife on the podcast. Um, uh, been there, mate. Been there, done that. We <laughs> Living that wife life. But we've yeah we've been doing much the same. We're we're quarantined with my parents, uh, so it's the four of us in the house just trying to make the best of it. But yeah, we've just been watching same same as what you said, watching films, watching the telly, uh, playing video games. Laura got Animal Crossing on the Switch. I don't know much about it other than that she's playing a hell of a lot of it, and it's the cutest shit ever. And so is she, and you, you and I, Ross, have been playing a lot of. Crash Team Racing, yes. Nitro Field, the PS4 remaster of the PlayStation One. I've classic. been enjoying greatly. Yes. I don't know how much you've been so, since since I thrash you yeah. every single time. So I've been playing this game with Steven. It's a racing game. Uh, Steven destroys me every round so much so that um, we go several laps at a time, and he is ahead of me by a lap and still beating me, <laughs> which is awful. Uh, he is very good at this game, and it's because he's been playing the original up until the point where there was a remake. Whereas I had a good 20 years between my last playthrough of Crash Team Racing. So give me time. In this isolation, I will be dedicating eight hours a day to nothing but Crash Team Racing. And by the end of this lockdown, I will thrash you. I will destroy you. And it will be satisfying and we'll all celebrate. I look forward to it. Yes, it will. It will be great. And everyone will be there to watch it. We're going to do it live. Um, what have you been watching? Uh, what have been watching? Um, let me think. The one thing that's been a nice bam for me is I, I, I particularly like um, Better Call Saul. And that's about the only show that I've got that's still like coming out week to week. 
So, you know, I've been <laughs> measuring, I've been, I know, for now, I've been measuring my time in Better Call Saul's. In the UK, we can normally watch them uh, Tuesday mornings. It's a, a Netflix original in the UK. Um, so, yeah, every Tuesday morning, that's my only bellwether as to what fucking time it is or when we are or what day it is or what's going to happen next. There's at least three more of them to come. So <laughs> that will keep me, that will keep me in good stead for the next three weeks. Beyond that, yeah, it- we are lost. Every fucking day at the moment feels like either we're, we're perpetually at 2pm on a Sunday or between Christmas and New Year. Yeah, absolutely. It's that, it's that arbitrary sort of suspect dead zone kind of... Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, the answer is hard to say. You know, I've been calling my parents every day. And at first, you know, we yeah. were chatting about the whole situation, how everything is. And now it really is just like a three and a half minute check in. Like, hey, how you doing? Good. Yeah, good. What are you having for dinner today? Oh, this. Oh, cool. Well, speak to you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, 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 the answer to what you've been up to is mostly the same as we do every day. Um, but yeah, I'm trying <laughs> to think what else I've been watching. Um, I've been watching, I, I have access to Mubi. Uh, the sort of movie right, okay. app um, that, you know, it's a little bit like Netflix, but it has 30 days worth of films, one film a day. Once a day passes, one film goes, a new one's added. Yeah. And the catalogue is mostly sort of classic, art house, foreign films. Um, yeah, it's like Netflix, but actually has films pre-1980. Yeah, exactly. And, and they do a lot of work in actually like archiving and, and finding out classics. And they do yeah. sort of like filmmaker focuses and things. So it has been satisfying, you know, sometimes the sort of like streaming Netflix quality of films is not always great, especially some of their originals are entertaining, but there's a certain repeated tone or a repeated sort of like... Um, vibe to some aesthetic of these movies, or production yeah, production well, aesthetic say, that, yeah. that sort of follows and trails through these movies that you can kind of get tired of. So it's nice to go and open up a sort of older, uh, an older film or watch something. So I've been watching some really cool stuff. There was a lot of um, films of Wong Kar Wai, uh, the Hong Kong based oh, nice. director. So I watched yeah, a yeah. few of those. In the Mood for Love is one of my favourites. It's this really tense, um, well, yeah, very tense sort of romantic film between. Uh, two couples, so a husband and wife each, who the, the husband of one couple and the wife of the other are having an affair, but the film doesn't focus on them. In fact, you never see them. You only see the two jilted partners that are being cheated on. It's about them. Oh, I see. And they come to realise separately and then together that they're being cheated on. So they sort of have their own dalliance uh, behind their backs and it's very interesting it's a very sort of beautiful longing heartache kind of movie but isn't yeah too like gruesomely sad or anything like that it is very good so that was a a big recommendation for me you can probably find uh, maybe not anymore because it was a couple days any days ago but if you are interested in older films and you you are looking for something a bit different movie is a good app i am not sponsored by movie i would like to be <laughs> <laughs> so movie hit me up yeah, can you imagine if in this, this podcast's entire run we actually got some like goddamn sponsorship or got some fucking freebies or anything out of We are <laughs> proudly, of- fiercely independent. Please delete proudly. this if that changes. Um, proudly, fiercely. I will. I can do an advert for you if you want. I can do some sponsorship ads. I've got the time. Okay, so... We today, okay, everyone, thanks for listening. Short ad break. The Kaiju Source podcast is brought to you 
by Spando's Underwear. Now, Spando's Underwear is an amazing service that you can use. It's only 99 pounds or dollars a month. That doesn't change depending on the currency fluctuation. It's 99 a month. And by signing up to Spando's, you're sent an industrial size crate of pants and underwear. Now, it's all different sizes, shapes, for all types of bodies. You just dive in there, you grab what you can, you get 60 seconds to grab as many pairs of underwear as you can. That's your lot, and that goes into your Spendo account, and then you can actually pick and choose and customize your options, and you send those back, and then they are uh, edited to your size. So Spendo, that's 99, and if you put in the code Kaiju1, you're going to get one pound or one dollar off your next purchase of a Spendo crate. So that's www.spendo.biz. That was excellent. Thank you. I'm genuinely deeply impressed, and it sounds it sounds real. Yes, it is real. These <laughs> hideous podcast adverts that rich people ped, try and peddle to you. Like, I was listening to a podcast a wee while ago, and I can't remember what it was, but one of the sponsors was a fucking car. And it's just like, no, oh, know your oh audience. God, I, lo- I love my new whatever fucking, and it's like, I'm listening to this in my pants. You know what I mean? Like, Read the room. Yeah. <laughs> um, what have you but, been watching and listening to, Stephen? Well, Laura and I have been watching a lot of films together. It's been, it's, you know, making the best of, of a lot of time that we have together, which is really nice because a lot of the time we end up working opposite shifts, that sort of thing. So sometimes we can not see each other a lot over a few days. Um, so we've just been watching loads of films, one of our favourite pastimes, just love it, showing each other stuff, sharing our, sharing favourites with each other, still after all this time. Um, in, the, in the last... And, and just like watching stuff that's new to both of us and discovering it for the first time. Uh, in, the, in the last week off the top of my head... We've watched the uh, the Departed, the two thousand six Scorsese film, which you know it's one of these movies you hear hyped up for as long as for as long as you can remember. And you, with these sort of cases, you think, all right, sure, you know, I'm sure it's good, but you know, no, it it is that fucking good. Like, yeah, what I mean, that that's all I'm going to say. I mean, what what the hell else can I say about the Departed that? Is going to be a unique or individual take. Welcome um, to the but, Departed, Soros. But what? <laughs> where we watch the Departed every month for six years. But um, yeah, I, Departed is great, as I'm sure a lot of listeners know. Uh, what I will say is, it's it's the only time I've genuinely enjoyed Mark Wahlberg on screen. But as not Daddy's, Daddy's Home, and Daddy's Home too. Daddy's Home do. But when I said that to Laura, she also pointed out that I haven't seen Boogie Nights, and she has. Oh, Boogie so Nights is good. And, yeah, that is a Wahlberg. I'm, I'm, I'm going to stick Boogie Nights uh, on my mental watch list. So, and we've also watched, well, rewatched Spirited Away. That's one of Laura's favourites because the UK Netflix has put up a, a pile of Studio Ghibli films, which has been great. Um, since they put those up a month or two ago, we've watched Spirited Away, uh, The Cat Returns. The Cat Returns is awesome. It's like an hour and ten. It's just an incredibly sweet, gentle film about uh, a young uh, schoolgirl who who saves a cat's life, then as thanks gets transported to a kingdom of cats. Uh, and it's delightful, as I'm sure you know. We watched another Ghibli god. What, what bloody... Oh, um... Porco Rosso, which I I'd, I'd wanted to see for years, um, and I, I enjoyed it greatly. I really really enjoyed Porco Rosso, and with with 
watching the Ghiblis, we've been watching the 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 Disney produced dubs, and they're such high quality, and they're such good talent in there, and they're so well produced. Like in Porco Rosso, Michael Keaton, oh, is is Porco Rosso, and it's just it's just great. And uh, again, here's my first tangent, but I'm starting to really enjoy dubs again because, like, for years when I was like, late teen, early twenties, I was like, you know. Oh, dubs, oh, subs only. Whereas I think dubs are actually like, and with live action movies, are a really sincerely interesting, fascinating new way to experience a film. And you can't get away from it. It does let you solely focus visually on the movie. Don't get me wrong. If a dub is badly produced, it's it's it makes a film unwatchable. For example, to bring it back to a subject of relevance, I thought the Funimation... English dub of Shin Godzilla was fucking dreadful. I've watched it once and I'll probably never, I'll not never watch it again, but not for a, a fucking while. But um, yeah, these Studio Ghibli dubs produced by Disney excuse me, are are excellent. Although, Laura was reading about Porco Rosso and she said that, and she told me that in her reading she found out that Miyazaki Miyazaki's uh, his favourite dub of Porco Rosso is the French one. Even oh, really? more than the even more than the Japanese original, because Porco Rosso is uh, dubbed by Jean Reno. Fuck! <laughs> which just sounds fucking great. So, like, I guess I'm going to go watch Porco Rosso in French with subtitles. Yes. Oh my god, that's amazing. Um, no, I get what, what you else mean. Have we watched. Um, just to, to jump on that on that briefly, I think with a live action film, I'm always going to prefer to watch it in its in its original language. But I think when it comes to animation, sure. I think you can actually like do a lot more with um, you know with different voice acting and things. I watched Pom Poco on the Studio Ghibli um, collection, which is the one about the oh, nice. the Tanukis and sort of their changing habitats over the years as, as sort of Tokyo grows larger and larger. It's really good. It's very 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 funny. And again, got a fucking class. Uh, American voice cast. It was recorded in yeah. the sort of mid nineties. It's got J.K. Simmons. It's got the American comedian Brian Posehn. It's got uh-huh. uh, Tres McNeil, who's you know, oh sure, yep. like stalwart Simpsons voice actor, uh, and just a, a, another like great handful of voices just peppered throughout. Um, but I was watching a sort of a, an anime um, with a friend recently, and. You know, they were very insistent. It was like, oh no, let's watch it in let's watch it in Japanese. And then we were watching it, and I was I could just tell, you know, we were just hanging out generally, so their, their heart wasn't really in it. They weren't really watching it. So you know, although we whatever don't that be, feels like, I know, right? Um, <laughs> we um, then I just changed it subtly when they weren't even paying attention. I just changed it back to an English dub with. You know, without subtitles, and boom, they were there, they were in, they were listening, they yeah. were paying attention. I think just sometimes, yeah, you got to do that. And, and, and exactly, and it's easy for me to personally forget because I I watch a lot of subtitled films, um, and what I don't I don't mean that in the sense of you know <laughs> I watch a lot of a uh, real uh, foreign world cinema. I just mean like you know I do watch a lot of films in a different language with subtitles and I have for years and years and years now I'm used to it a lot of people aren't um so yeah I I enjoy dubs I yeah, yeah I mean that, it's also for shit me. like I, I, you know sometimes I, I like sometimes I don't want to put my full heart and show, soul into a tv show I just want to have it on glance at it do other stuff and when you are dealing with something that's um that's subtitled 
that's really impossible for you to do because any instant you're not looking at the screen, you just aren't quite fully in exactly exactly aware of what's happening. So yeah, a lot of stuff I'll just watch dubbed because it's like, well, I'm gonna just fart around here and look at my phone or do stuff on the computer or loosely talk while we do stuff. Yeah. So nah, well if I don't, you know if I if I don't do it, then I won't know what's happening when I'm not in the room or turned around or something. Yeah, exactly. And plus, like dubbing has a lot of benefits that people don't even think about. There's, I I know for example the 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 the, the Prince Charles Cinema in in central London makes a big hullabaloo about you know they, they show ghibli films quite often and they make a big huge hullabaloo like you know we only show subs we will never show dubs and it's like yeah well that's fucking great and all but you know who doesn't generally want to watch subtitles kids yeah. and you know who the fucking prime audience for studio ghibli films is no matter how much audiences adult audiences uh, and weebs want to appropriate them kids studio ghibli movies most of them are made for kids yeah get a grip um but what else have we watched we watched spielberg's war of the worlds with tom cruise in 2005 which i i i've always been fond of since i saw it in the cinema back then uh, i think tom cruise despite being an absolute fucking freak he is a, a freak. human being he is a freak he is uh, you, you, you have to preface that like I am going to praise him as a performer in a second, but he is an absolute freak of a human being. Um, and you have to preface that every time you talk about him. But I do think he's a surprisingly versatile actor. Oh, agreed. Um, I mean, you're watching Mission Impossible films. Yeah, yeah. Right? Uh, well, yeah. I'll let you finish but, with War of the Worlds and I'll go on yeah. to... Uh, don't but, worry, um, I've got my Mission Impossible statement prepared. Like, in Spielberg's War of the Worlds, he plays he plays an everyman. He plays a dock worker, which, you know, is relative levels of success because, you know, he looks like Tom fucking Cruise. Um, but he's really good. He and what what I, what I really like about Spielberg's War of the Worlds is people like to rag on it because you know it's got a a contemporary or contemporary at the time American setting. It takes place in America in two thousand and five or two thousand and four. Um, so people like get to like to get hung up on these artificial deviations from H.G. Wells' text. Whereas for me, it's it's an excellent adaptation that really focuses on like the tone and the mood of of H.G. Wells' book, which is one of my favourite pieces of literature ever. Uh, and like, God, the, 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 the tone of that Spielberg movie is so fucking claustrophobic and tense and overbearing. Um, it really nails the sense of like mankind being completely outmatched and overwhelmed by something that's just beyond our capabilities and understanding. Um, and, and to me, that's, more important than, than than artificial adaptations that 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 main that maintain things like setting and and and, and period uh, over things like characterization, tone, aesthetic, mood. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's watching it this time. It was my first time watching it properly as an adult. It does have a weird, you know, pro-U.S. military. Um, feel over it that I don't know if I'm quite willing or indeed qualified to get into but that's just something that struck me about it this time but yeah Spielberg's War of the Worlds is great and that fucking siren that wail that the tripods make is just horrible it is horrible and it's got a, a lot of really great like classic Spielbergian uh, sequences like have you have you seen it i saw it i think when it first came out and i would think it was just sure. a bit too young to kind of process it more than just like yeah. running around and get shot at well 
I don't know if you'll remember, but there's a scene where Tom Cruise, uh, Dakota Fanning, and uh, Tim Shawshank Redemption, Tim Robbins, Tim Robbins, yeah, are 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 stuck in a basement, and there's an alien camera swirling around the basement trying to find them, and then three aliens come down and try and find them, and it's really reminiscent of the the kitchen scene with the raptor in in Jurassic Park, and it's just like. Peak Spielberg, and it's great. Speaking of Spielberg, we also watched Jaws. It was neither of our first time watching it, but Jaws. I mean, again, what can I say about Jaws other than it's what a fucking great it film! It really is. It's so, so good. It's so classic. And again, talking about adaptation, there, Jaws is a great example of how we're so beyond the point of you know the quote unquote true adaptation. Because I've read Jaws, the novel, and the novel is great, but it's really, really different um to what spielberg ended up making and that's fine so is jurassic park and i know these are all spielberg examples but like i think because i was talking on twitter last night about shinji higuchi's attack on titan movies and like how much i enjoy them and i don't i don't really don't care about whether or not the the they're faithful to the manga or the anime do you just want the same shit adapted in the same way again and again in in different visual mediums yeah, like yeah. print do you want to television audiobook? to to film do you know what i mean like i don't know this is gone on a tangential rant again but like i think when people look at adaptations they get too fixated on fucking uh what do they call it uh faithfulness yeah to source material and like I know myself, because I'll get into it a bit later, because I adapted something that was released earlier, uh, well, last month. you got to know what to change. Yeah, yeah. And, like, what to adapt, and, like, what works and what doesn't work. Uh, so I guess, yeah, um, we watched War of the Worlds. There we go. Good shit. Um, <laughs> on the Tom Cruise note, my other big watch has been the Mission Impossible films. Um Great, which, has great been, time. which has been a great time. A truly tremendous time. We watched them in a weird, fucked up order. Um, you always do that. What happened to your Fast and Furious order that you were going to do? Oh, um, yeah, we, we gave up with that. Well, not gave up with it. It's still pending. It just hasn't been a while. We, yeah, we were just going to do it. I think, I think <laughs> the, the Fast and Furious doesn't have too complex uh, a timeline. It's just because they retconned a character that was dead in Tokyo Drift to being back alive in another film that technically makes like... Tokyo Drift, like a distant sequel or something. So I think you watch like, yeah, a bunch uh, of the movies. They play around with the then you watch Fast and Highly Furious cerebral. Too. Um, but I'm not too worried about that at the moment. Fast and Furious is where my heart is. I started with Fast and Furious. Uh, sorry, Mission Impossible. Started with Mission Impossible Four, uh, which is Ghost Protocol. Ghost Protocol. Now, this was the first Mission Impossible film I'd ever seen. It was a couple of years ago. It's a fucking class, solid action movie. It's directed by Brad Bird. So like director We saw of, that together, right? Yeah, yeah, we did the years ago. Yeah. Um directed by Brad Bird of like Ratatouille and the Iron Giant uh, and the Incredibles. So it's a very, you know, interesting directorial style from a director that's mostly yeah. known for animation. It's lively, it's light on its feet, it's a lot of fun. So that was the only Mission Impossible film I'd seen for a long time. Never seen the originals, never seen any of the others. I missed the fifth one that came out after. Then I saw the sixth one at the cinema at the end of last year with Henry Cavill, the movie that uh, is responsible for the weird CGI mustache of uh, the, the big <laughs> Superman film. Uh, and that's also Shit Hot. Excellent film. I don't know, have you seen Mission Impossible Fallout, Stephen? I've seen 
uh, all of them from the third one onward. Okay. I've never seen the first two. And the thing is, with the Mission Impossible movies, I've seen them all in their theatrical release ever since, since and including the third one. And I've never rewatched them. I've 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 never went back and like sought out the first two. I will at some point, but um, but yeah, they're but I enjoy them so goddamn much. Every time there's a new one, I I make a point of going to see it, making sure I see it because holy shit, they're just they're just fucking great. Yeah, they're, like, they're... especially those last three there. What I like is that there's six movies now, and it feels like two kind of distinct trilogies. Yeah, um, definitely. They're they're, they're... like those those last two. What is it? Rogue Rogue Nation? No, yeah, Rogue Nation and Fallout. Fallout is the final one. That has has the sort of two hander with that recurring villain. Um, it's so good. It's those are both so good. And see, in 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 Fallout, there was several moments in that one where, literally, like gripping the seat with tension, especially that finale with um, involving the helicopter. And there were so many points in that where I'm just sitting like. <gasps> <sighs> <gasps> <gasps> Like, yeah, it's and, just and even even the opening of that film where uh, well, spoiler territory here for Mission Impossible Six, but sorry guys, it briefly lets you believe there's been a fucking nuclear holocaust. Yes, it does. And I remember when I saw that, I was just sitting there thinking, like, is is this real? Like, holy fuck! But then they they do that fun prank. Like, oh, we got you. What? But that's what I like about those movies is that they still have that real sense of fun. Uh, going back, way back to the '60s TV show that it's based on, like even in these like rather relatively gritty, high-profile action movies, they still do like reveals and fake-outs for someone wearing a rubber mask of someone else. Oh yeah, and like they still they still do opening titles, feature like where footage of the actor appears next to their name. It's very much like a, it feels like a TV episode opening. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Like it is interesting, you know, like the, the opening credits use a lot of footage of the film to come, which is, yeah, I think, which is a lot rarer now, but yeah, it's no, really the, charming. The, yeah. the Mission Impossible films are, are sort of just well-made, incredibly well-thought action sequences with a pretty easy to follow, like compelling sort of spy narrative to carry it all along. The, the action is really clever. It's always going to try and do something new and surprising. It's the right level of humorous, not too overly serious, and equally not too bogged down in, like, lore and overplotting. It's just got a great high-level energy. Tom Cruise is, it saddens me to say, a truly compelling action star. He has a funny yeah, run. Um, and, you know, like, for example, to, to use a quick example of Mission Impossible 5, Rogue Nation. Um, there's a scene where Tom Cruise needs to go to an opera to stop an assassination attempt. Oh, and he's gosh, following. Yeah, it's just him and Simon Pegg. Yeah, isn't it? yeah. It's a two-man job. They're trying to stop an assassination. The assassin is like a, a diplomat who's the 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 target is a diplomat at the opera who's going to watch the show. And Tom Cruise is on the tail of one of the assassins and catches up to him. Big fist fight stops him, but 
We then understand and realize there's not one assassin, there's not two assassins, there's three assassins all trying to kill the same target and Tom Cruise is only on one of them. And what emerges from that is just this really amazing, intense sequence where you just don't know what's going to happen, you don't know what Tom Cruise is going to do. It is great. <laughs> so I've had a great time watching the Mission Impossible movies in a weird order. So what we were doing was I watched four and five then I've gone back and watched one and two. I will watch three soon, and then we're going to finish it back off with six. Um, <laughs> this was by accident, because four we just put on, because it was like, oh, fuck it, let's watch a movie. Oh, fuck it, Mission Impossible 4 is good. Then we were like, oh, well, you know, let's continue on and watch five. And then we thought, well, let's go back and do one and two. I'd never seen the originals, so I've now seen one, which is also class. Like, it's a lot more steady-handed. It's also a Brian De Palma film. And it's got yeah. original music. I'm, I'm for, I think I'm still right, but I think Lalo Schifrin, the original composer, is still alive for the first film. So I'm certain he actually composed the original Mission Impossible movies soundtrack as well. Um, the second one's not very good. I don't like the second one so much. It's kind of boring. It's John Woo. It's got all the excellent, intense John Woo stuff, but it's just too like plot heavy, like. 2000, 2001. It is the one in the it's the one in the franchise that is like overly serious. Uh, it's sure. got a Scottish baddie though, so it gets elevated to a level of success because the baddie's Scottish, and that's yeah. Hard. But then five and six have a Scottish baddie as well. Oh yeah, well is he Scott? I'm not sure. He's like it does a weird voice. I thought it was vaguely you ambiguously Scottish. We'll leave it. Or I think I'm actually. You know what? I th I think I'm thinking of the same actor in Macbeth. Yeah, you might be. Because I, I I always think probably. he's Scottish. Which is Sean Walker? No. Yeah, because he's not Scottish, is he? No, he's just he's from like Northumbria. He's he's a northern actor. What? A northern what? actor. Um, I rescind all my praise for these films. Other final film recommendation I'll say if you're looking for if you missed our Scottish voices and you're an international film viewer and you'd like to watch something Scottish. Shallow Grave, Danny Boyle's first film before Train Spotting. I watched that for the first time. So it's got a very young Ewan McGregor and a very young Christopher Eccleston. Doctor Who fans will mm. be happy to see him. It's great. It's 90 minutes. It's a class little film noir crime thriller. It's very funny. The characters are absolutely awful people. It's set in this beautiful Edinburgh tenement. Though it's filmed in Glasgow. Um, and oh. at time of recording, it's on YouTube. So why don't you watch it? It's on YouTube? Yeah. Oh. A, a full Criterion rip. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Criterion. Um, well, last thing we've watched as well recently, we watched Knives Out oh. again, which is both Laura and I's favourite film of last year. Knives Out is just an absolutely fucking great time. There is not a, a second wasted in that movie. There really isn't. That entire incredible ensemble is all giving career best performances. Everyone focuses on Daniel Craig, but Anna anchors that whole film. She's just incredible in it. Um, and it really, it really, really genuinely warms my heart that after Ryan Johnson had such a bad, bad time after the release of The Last Jedi, like getting horribly trolled and treated by Star Wars quote-unquote fans. Actually, you know what? I'm not even going to say that because a lot of them are fans and a lot of them are just dicks. There's this weird idea that you can't be a fan and a dick. You have to be one or the other. Like A lot of fans are fucking dickheads and a lot of Star Wars fans are fucking dickheads. Um, so you got a really bad time from Star Wars fans and then fucking J.J. Abrams comes along and 
fucking sabotages his groundwork. Um, but after all that, Johnson's next film comes out not exactly up against a Star Wars film because nothing goes up against a Disney-produced Star Wars film. It was released at the same time as a Star Wars film. Sure, Star Wars made more money. Personally, I couldn't care less how much money films make. Knives Out and Ryan Johnson like won the hearts yes, of cinema goers. The hearts of December. Last Christmas movie season, and that's great. Good for Ryan. Yeah, it was a great film. Everyone I spoke to, like at my work or just people I met, everyone went to go see it. Everyone had a great time. It was a cla- it was a it was a seminal go see it with your parents movie. My parents really enjoyed it as well. Everyone I spoke yeah, so to, did mine. And yeah. someone asked me, he's like, Oh, I'm gonna go see a movie for Christmas with my parents. What should I go see? Star Wars? I'm like, go see Knives Out. They'll have more fun. Yeah, They'll have no have idea what's fucking going on. Time, fucking Star Wars. We're not like, I don't oh. want to talk about it, man. It's Whatever. Yeah, fuck it. Like, honestly, all I've got to say is Rise of Skywalker. Who gives a fuck? Like, ugh. <laughs> what a load of ocean. <laughs> what a load of crop. I mean, whatever. Um, yeah. Let's see. So, what else? Should we talk wanna, about our new era we talk of projects? Projects? Yes. You may have wondered what else have we been up to. We have alluded to projects in the past. I think maybe even... Um, in our last episode, we might have mentioned something about it or, or even just posted yeah. the occasional post on our Facebook page. But, Stephen, we released something last February, last Friday 13th. Let's talk about Indeed. it. Indeed. On Friday the 13th of March, we, Ross and I, finally released The Loathsome Lampton Worm, which is a feature-length, full-cast, audio-drama sequel to the original cult classic, The Wicker Man. Um, this project has been, or had been, in production and planning for about, honestly, about two years. Because um, <laughs> I actually jumped, I, I announced it on the last episode of the Kaijasaurus podcast, which was Shin Godzilla two years ago. Um, and I jumped the gun a little bit on that one because I was just excited. Do you know that way you get when you have a new project fizzing about in your head and you just want to fucking fart it out and tell everyone about it? But I jumped the gun a little bit in retrospect because we didn't start work on it in earnest till about six months later. Um, but about a year ago, once I got back from my honeymoon in Tokyo with Laura, Ross and I sat down, started looking at the, the script that I'd adapted from the treatment by... Anthony Schaffer, who wrote The Wicker Man. Anthony Schaffer wrote this treatment in 1989 called The Wicker Man 2 or The Loathsome Lampton Worm. And it was intended as a direct sequel to The Wicker Man, which would take place directly the moment that film, The Wicker Man, ends and would have uh, the continued, shall we say, misadventures of Sergeant Howie as he returns to Summer Isle, having survived The Wicker Man, to try and bring the citizens of Summer Isle and their lord to justice. Uh, so Ross and I sat down about a year ago, did a typical wankerish, you know, cafe, creative cafe meet in public, uh, listened, lots of people sent in audition tapes, uh, cast the whole thing. We got really, really, really goddamn fucking lucky because, my God, the cast that we got, a whole plethora of Scottish stage and screen veterans. Um, I'm not going to single any one person out uh, on the podcast for praise, because that's unfair, but 
I, I, I sincerely mean it when I see every single person in that cast was fucking dynamite. Yeah. And we were a... so lucky to be able to work with them all. Every single person was cast perfectly and inhabited. That, that sounds... Uh, that sounds arrogant on our, on, on our end, but a better way of saying that is every single person we cast in that so fully inhabited their characters and brought them to life so entirely in those two recording days that we had last summer. Uh, and it was an absolute joy. So if you like The Wicker Man, if you like folk horror, if you just like horror, um, if you like weird shit, if you like weird pagan shit, if you like, I don't know, dragons, maybe... Uh, the Loathsome Lampton Worm is available right now on all good podcast platforms. The chances are, you know what? See, if if you're listening to this, you're you're on a podcast platform. Keep listening, but just come out, search Loathsome Lampton Worm. Now, see that lovely but red artwork done by Alex Gayhart? Click on that. It's an hour and 40 minutes long, which astounded even me need a wee bit of a distraction during these uneasy times go have a little listen you'll, you'll find no peace for it, is you'll it? find no peace but i think it's a really i genuinely do think it's a really good piece of work uh, me too uh, Stephen. ross did uh in, in terms of breaking down it in roles ross produced it and i uh adapted it from anthony Schaffer's treatment and directed it as well uh and we're both really proud of it and I think it's safe to say that we're both really pleased with the jobs each other did as well. Oh, absolutely. And it was, it actually felt like a massive undertaking. I shouldn't say it felt like, because it kind of was a it massive was. undertaking. I, I realized for like my first venture into audio drama, I did choose a fucking huge project. Because I remember way back, maybe end of summer, maybe autumn 2018, when I properly started writing it or adapting it, I should say that I was, I was, I was in constant communication with you saying like, Oh, I don't know. I think it'd be nice just to aim for something easy and palatable, something easily consumed, maybe something like, you know, 40, 45 minutes, an hour top. Great. And then like way down the line, once we'd recorded, once we'd, uh, and once I started getting into the nitty gritty of editing, <laughs> the first rough cut was something like an hour 40 hour 45 and i was just like well fuck but <laughs> this is where we're at i did go through it with a fine tooth comb and i shaved a minute and a half off of it wow killing those darlings exactly but i mean it's longer than the wicker man <laughs> yeah i know that is a crowning achievement it is longer than the original film that is amazing to me but but no people people have been asking you know where what's you know i think when we finished the show for kaijusaurus people asked us like what's next where will you go like what are you doing and and the truth is that's what we were doing we were making this full-length audio drama the annoying thing is that or not the annoying thing but the truth of it is that you know that's unfortunately not something that you can post a week to week and put little snippets off we wanted it to be a full complete thing so that's exactly it took you know as long but when you think about it in terms of our actual recording time 
alone, we were already spending about probably 15, 16 hours of, of recording time all added up with extra things, not to mention the amount of work that Stephen put into editing the thing, and then not to mention the, the writing, the production, the sort of pre-planning and organisational or, or read-throughs and rehearsals with the cast. So all in all, you know, if you were to quantify that all into hours, that's that's hours of content. That's many episodes exactly, of many yeah. shows. So, But yeah. we decided to expunge that energy into a, a full feature-length thing that you can go and listen to right now. Exactly. And you can listen to it in chunks or all of it at once. You know what? Let's play a little clip, shall we? Yes! Wake up, McTaggart! Oh, Sergeant Heavy! What are you doing here? You're not supposed to be on duty tonight, are you? No, I'm not, but McTaggart, I'm here on a different kind of duty. A special mission, if you like, which you are part of as of now. Now, I need you to gather your things and come with me, quick as you can. Sergeant, I can't abandon my post. I'm supposed to... Constable, this is a direct order from your sergeant. Now, gather your things and come with me, quick as you can now. Please, am I understood? Right you are, Sergeant. Give me two minutes. Very good. Where are we going, Sergeant? The seaplane. The seaplane? What on earth for? You and I have been selected to go back to Summer Isle. Summer Isle? Selected by who? Higher powers, Constable. Higher powers. Now quickly, move yourself. In you get, McTaggart. I'll get the ropes. Right, yeah, Sergeant. Goes there. Sergeant Howie, is that you? What in blazes are you doing untethering those ropes? I am taking this plane. On whose authority? On whose authority, Sergeant? The highest authority that there is. Sorry, Sergeant. We're going to have to radio this in. Hello? Is that the station? Wait till you hear this. I've got Sergeant Neil Howie. I'm sorry, but nothing is going to stand in my way. All good, Sergeant. Aye, McTaggart. Let us waste no time. A bit cloak and dagger all this, isn't it? Under the dark of night and all that. What's the reasoning there? You'll not see us coming. We can take them by surprise. Oh, right then, Sergeant. Come on, let's go. Hello? Who's in the plane? Heather is there. You're unauthorised. What's that about? Worry about me, Taggart. It's probably just some hooligans stamping with the frequency. Now, feel free to get some sleep. But, Sergeant, the radio... It is fine, Constable. Right, old Sergeant. Wake me when we're there, then. Aye, aye. So as you can hear from that, uh, it is a is a 
bonafide full cast audio drama. It's not an audio book. It's not a podcast. It is drama. Full cast, fully acted, and the cast are excellent, as you've just heard. Go give it a listen, because I think you'll enjoy it. And for I don't know, Max, I, oh sorry. Sorry, no, you go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, just for maximum enjoyment, people ask, should I have seen the original Wicker Man? The advice is probably yes, it would, it would definitely help. Um, so if you can seek out the original Wicker Man, try and do that first. But what do you think, Stephen? Do you think people can still maybe jump in if they're not so interested and just want to see what it's like? I think we give them enough that you could certainly not be lost, but you'll definitely have a more enriched listen if you've seen The Wicker Man uh, and it's fresh in your memory. Plus, you know, just watch The Wicker Man because it's a fucking great film. Yeah, I mean, that's it. And then and then watch the, the, the Nicolas Cage remake because it's I, also... I had a dream I watched that last night. film. Um, and I don't know, I might watch it again soon because I do find it genuinely entertaining for all the wrong reasons. But, so- you know... It soothes you. If it a film entertains you. you, it's doing something right, no matter how subversively. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's The Loathsome Lux and Warm. And I'm now looking ahead looking ahead i should say to other uh dramatic audio projects just got a few you know i've got a couple of projects you know just sort of forming in my head waiting for them to take shape you know so yeah we'll see what about you mr mingus um oh well i've i've had a a sort of a project of my own uh on the go for uh the last little while we released it also in march uh but it's something that we've been working on for about a year it's called dunwith and dunwith is a scottish town a fictional town it's like brigadoon it appears once a year and in all other parts of the year it's completely disappeared but in all other respects it's a weird normal scottish town and what we're doing with dunwith is it's going out entirely online it's a video series it's going to be fake documentaries short films music videos archival footage it's all sorts of little updates and dispatches from this weird scottish town that only appears once a year so um it's uh, fake documentaries from myself telling you about the town. We've produced as well short films featuring sort of recurring characters from the town that we'll see again and again. Uh, it's been so much fun doing this. It's, it's quite a big collaborative project. I've been working with some really talented people to make this happen. A lot of really, really good filmmakers. Most um, close to me are um, the producer Morgan Cadeau. Um, and sort of two directors of cinematography, Adam Sinclair and Ross Imlach, uh, and Abby as well, my wife. Uh, we've all sort of collectively managed to bring some of these things together. It's been such fun creating this project. It's something that we're just going to... Um, you know, if you can imagine, almost the first season of it has come out. We've got a few episodes of Visit Done With, which is an almost documentary about the town. And then we also have a full short film, Death Comes to Done With, which is about five or six minutes. And it looks amazing. I'm so proud of that. And it, that was a it really film does. That we spent it really about, does. That's, yeah, no, thanks, Stephen. That was a, a full length film that we spent about, uh, well, a full length short film <laughs> that we spent about uh, uh, a year on. It was actually May of last year that we started filming that. Um, so it's an amazing project. I'm calling it a pick and mix series. You can have a little bit of everything and it's going out online. You can find it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube. If you search for Dunwith, that's D-U-N-W-I-T-H, Dunwith, 
You will find it, I assure you. And follow us on all of those platforms. I don't care if you don't have any of those. You're going to get a Facebook. You're going to like it there. You're going to get a Twitter. You're going to like it there. You're going to get an Instagram and like it there as well. But please like, subscribe. I sound desperate, but I am. It's really fun. I want you all to enjoy it. And I think it's just going to be something that we keep adding to this world. We're going to do all sorts of different things. I think we're just going to embrace the the variety and the, the mystery of it all and... We've got some new shorts in line soon that hopefully we can get off the ground. But that's been my big project and it's been a delight and I'm, I'm really excited to just take it to its weird next level. I'm going to follow it wherever it goes. Shall we have a wee listen to a visit done with tourism advert? Yes, absolutely. And I'll just say this, the person that you're about to hear bears resemblance, but it's not me. Completely different person. Let's, give, actor. let's give it a listen. It's a very rare place, one you'd be very hard pressed to find. You must plan your trip very carefully. I'm no geologist, but from what I understand, Dunwith sits on its own tectonic plate, which vibrates at such an enormous frequency that for 364 days of the year, the town is completely covered in an electromagnetic field. No one coming in or out, except for one day. Dunwith Day, when the dust settles and people from all over the world come to visit. My name is Ross Mingus. I was born in Dunwith and I was raised here too. And according to a witch's curse, it is here where I'll die. And I can't wait. Dunwith has its own rich, unique history. It has been a part of so many stories in Scotland's development, you wouldn't believe. But I want you to come and see us. Forget all those other places. Forget Burniston, Balamore, Craig Lang, Summer Isle. Come to Dunwith. Dunwith is well serviced by a connection of small trains taking you round the town to wherever you may need to go. Did you hear that? Oh, 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 oh! Oh my goodness! Folks, that's done with. Closed off again, just like that, for a whole nother year. Nobody in. Nobody out. And it's my joy, my pleasure to spend this year from one done with day to the next showing you this wonderful town. Why go anywhere else? It's like the proclaimers said. It's over and done with. So yeah, that was Ross Mingus telling you to visit Dunwith. Yeah, it's a beautiful town. Honestly, when this is all over, you should go and visit Dunwith. It's beautiful. It's over and done with.
It's over and done with. So done with YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, the loathsome Lumpton Worm, also SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts. The Kaijasaurus Podcast boys have been busy bringing you truly cursed content. Yes. So shall we bring it back to the crux of the podcast, Ross? I mean, we are now about almost 55 minutes into this episode. Ugh, shall we actually guess, talk about right? fucking kaiju and shit? Yeah, why not? Oh, yeah, fuck what's it. What's going on? Yeah. What's what's the chat? What's the deal? Um, well, I guess... Well, a lot is happening, Foxy. Um, I, I guess the biggie in the past year is that last May, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, the third entry in Legendary Pictures' Monsterverse and the second uh, in their Godzilla series was released... Directed by Michael Doherty, or Michael Doherty as people... Pro- it's I, I would say it Doherty being Scottish, but people pronounce it Doherty, um, including himself. Good, so, good know, for them. I guess. Um, it's a big, loud, bombastic, fun film. Uh, don't get me wrong, I, I'm, I don't, we're not going to do a big in-depth thing about it here because, I don't know, maybe we'll get there down the line. Who knows? But it's a big, fun film... There's a lot I like about it. There's a lot I don't like about it. Um, I think it tries far too hard to do some course correction after Gareth Edwards' film where actually I don't feel there's much, if any, course correction needed. Um, But it is a big, fun, colourful, loud film. Um, It has King Ghidorah, Rodan and Mothra back all together on the big screen for the first time in a goddamn while. Rodan in particular has never looked better. King Ghidorah looks incredible. The music by Bear McCreary is one of the best scores in the entire franchise, both in terms of McCreary's own compositions and his reinterpretations of V Fukubi scores. Um, something that gets criticised a lot is the not so much the cast, but the characters that they inhabit. I actually think the ensemble is a... It's a very fun, colourful, diverse group of people. Um, don't get me wrong, some of the comic relief doesn't work, especially that, that, that younger laddie with the big eyes from Silicon Valley. Thomas Middle... Oh, aye. Mid- Thomas Middleditch. Middleditch, that's it. Uh, not his fault, just his material isn't very good. But, you know, we, we got we got Ken Watanabe back, we got Sally Hawkins back, and we've got Kyle Chandler. Kyle Chandler is an actor who I, I first remember seeing way back in Peter Jackson's King Kong. And he's such an interesting performer. Like, he always just looks so bloody downtrodden. And it's funny in King of the Monsters because you know how in Hollywood movies when they have like a washed up guy, like a washed up former athlete or former scientist or, I don't know, Tom Cruise playing a single dad dock worker. They always try and, they always tell you they're washed up instead of like actually looking at it. See in Godzilla King of the Monsters, Kyle Chandler plays that kind of character. And at least in he his... He just looks exhausted. Yeah, he looks like shit. Like he's in a dowdy cardigan and he's just, he's got huge bags under his eyes and he's, <sighs> I really he's yelling at these like well-paid super organization workers. I, I really enjoy Kyle Chandler. He's in that sort of same level of actor, I would say, as Brian Cranston and, and someone else who I can't quite remember, but there's a little fun trifecta of actors, Brian Cranston, Kyle Chandler and someone else who really, 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 really chew scenery and give borderline cheesy performances, but in a in a masterful way. 
like never in a bad or detrimental way. They're just they just oh, give, no. they get they, they put such gusto into every syllable that it borders on being funny. At Cranston especially, like saying everything <laughs> yeah. through like big gritted teeth and clenched jaws. Uh, and that is, that's especially indicative of his performance in Gareth Edwards' Godzilla. But I digress. Kyle Chandler, I really, really enjoy him a lot, and I enjoy him in that movie, and I enjoy that film a lot, warts and all. And not to get super into it, but the film itself is a little bit special to me, not simply because of being a new, big, fun, exciting Godzilla film, but because it came off the heels of the Polygon and Toho co-produced anime trilogy, which... If anyone follows me on social media at all, knows I'm not I'm not big on at all, and I'm not going to get into why I'm not big on them because I actually, funnily enough, don't like focusing on or talking about things I don't like. It's exhausting. Why would you want to? Um, but what I will say is, the conclusion, the concluding part of that trilogy, uh, the Planet Eater, put me off so much, like to such an extent that I actually, for the first point in my life started to consider whether or not I was falling out of love with Godzilla and Kaiju films. Um, and I, I don't think that was ever true. I just think Planet Eater left such a bad taste in my mouth, like such a really, 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 really bad taste in my mouth, and it put me off watching stuff for a little while, maybe like a month or so. Um, but then King of the Monsters came out a couple of months later, and it just brought everything back. It, 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 it I... I f- well, I didn't fall back in love because I never really fell out of love. Honestly, I don't think I did. But I rediscovered that love. It was like the lyrics to Pina Colada song. You know what? Yeah, exactly. Maybe we should maybe we should uh, play that out once we finish the episode later. But, I um, think that's a good idea. But yeah, that's but so King of the Monsters. I I never really left the flock, but in terms of, just for the drama, let's see. King of the Monsters brought me back to the flock. And for that, I will always be thankful to that film and it will always be special to me. So, yeah, Godzilla King of the Monsters. It's not a great film. It's not even a franchise best, but it's a hell of a fun time. I like it more than I don't like it. And, yeah, fun times. Good shit. Yeah, yeah, I liked it a lot. But basically, I, I will echo everything that you say, except for the, <laughs> the, 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 the expertise and the familiarity. Great, entertaining, very colourful. I will say, yeah, it, it, it didn't quite leave a, a huge lasting impression on me. It certainly didn't touch on, on huge themes or, or sort of leave enough for me to, to keep mulling over in the way that some of the, you know, the, the classics sure. of the, the original Japanese films did. But that isn't necessarily its purpose. It was an awesome time. It was a blast. The monsters are so cool. The The colour scheming they do for those monsters is oh, such yeah, a brilliant. well-chosen, like, visual choice that just makes the whole thing like a blast to watch, like a beauty to watch. So, yeah, yeah. I had a great time. Well, in terms of... I can't believe it's been is... over a year, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, almost a year. It'll be May, yeah. But um, in terms of kaiju stuff that's happened in the past year, on, on a personal note, um, I got married last March. Um, I've been married over a year now, which is fucking insane congratulations thank you very much you were the best man of course and you gave a wonderful yes yes i was and it was a wonderful day yes i did great great day it was it was good um but laura and i went on our honeymoon to tokyo Uh, it was both of our first times in japan and it was it was incredible being somewhere that 
you 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 think you've been so exposed to their culture for almost all of your life being there is so different nothing can prepare you it was certainly the biggest culture shock that we had ever had especially the first couple for the first two days were a little difficult to be honest because everything's so different everything's so overwhelming like the obviously as as with any uh foreign travel there's a uh, language barrier but not only the language barrier uh, currency etiquette transport uh even things like food but all of that got a little bit on top of us to be honest and we were a we were a bit like, oh my god, we don't know what we're doing. Oh god! But then once we calmed down and we got we got into the into the swing of things, it was great. And it was it was actually it, it was interesting and sort of weirdly freeing to be in a in a city in a country that doesn't pander at all to 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 Westerners or indeed English speakers. It was an entirely new experience for us both, um, and it was just. A completely incredible experience being in Tokyo, uh, and what was even more incredible, on top of that, is that we hit some big kaiju sites. Um, the biggest one and the most special one was we we went to Toho Studios, which was thoroughly um, words words do kind of escape me. It was being there in the moment. It was almost it was. A little overwhelming. I, I can only really, I it's, it's weird to say, but I can only really enjoy it in retrospect now, because being there in that moment was just so, it felt so unreal. But it was incredible. We we couldn't go in to the the studio or the lot or anything because <laughs> only after we went did to Toho start offering studio tours, which is fine. Oh, um, oh, that is such a shame. But we went to Toho, we had a big stroll around the, 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 the compound in the studio, took lots and lots of photos with the Godzilla statue that's out front, and the, 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 big, the three big murals that adorn different parts of the, the exterior and the lot, a big huge Seven Samurai mural with Takashi Shimura and Toshiro Mifune. There's a huge Godzilla mural, which Gareth Edwards and Akira Takarada unveiled at Toho in 2014. And... We couldn't go to this one because it's inside the studio lot, but we could see it and we got photos with it in the background. There's a huge Mothra uh, mural from a 1961 debut movie. It's beautiful. And we had a nice... Toho is... It's strange because like it's in... It's basically in the middle of a residential area. We had to walk through a lot of uh, uh, residential neighbourhoods and little home... uh, Homely streets and stuff to find it. It's way, way out of the centre of Tokyo, obviously. Um... We had a walk around it, beautiful uh, little streams and rivers around it, uh, all like with um, uh, movie and Godzilla and Mothra motifs along their 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 gates and uh, fences and stuff. Gorgeous area, and and we went in April as well, so the cherry blossoms were in full bloom. A, a, a funnier story is that we made a similar journey out to uh, Dai, the 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 studio responsible for Gamera and Daimajin and Zatoichi. Um, or or what is now the the headquarters of Kadokawa Dai? I have no idea if it's actually still a uh, 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 a production house. Um, but we went out there on a Saturday. Something like three subway trains to get out there, uh, and then once we got out there, only then did we find out that it is closed at weekends. Woo! <laughs> 
But it was still fun being there. We could see Gamera. We could see Gamera props from outside, inside. But, uh, you know, kind of good preparation for social distancing, I guess. But we got some cool photos with the two huge Daimajin statues that are outside the, the entrance. And it was just, it was also fun getting out of the very center of Tokyo for for a couple of hours at a time and uh, just seeing I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say, oh, seeing real Japan, because, I don't know, it's maybe just more fun wandering around where people live, you know? Um, well, that's always fun on a, on a, on a trip abroad exactly. or a trip to somewhere that you don't. It's just like seeing sort of lived-in spaces and exactly, sort of yeah. residential areas. It's fascinating. We did we did get lost on the way back from Toho and Daie, but that was we're just, we just chose to look back on that as an adventure, even though it was extremely anxiety inducing at the time uh but but, but the third big kaiju site that we that we hit up was for our last three nights in tokyo we stayed at hotel gracery in shinjuku which is more popularly known as the godzilla hotel uh this huge huge multi-story hotel uh slash imax cinema owned by toho uh, in the middle of the Shinjuku district of Tokyo, a big entertainment and red light district of Tokyo. Um, oh no. Uh, it has a huge life-size, allegedly, Godzilla head uh, at a sort of midpoint level in the hotel. And it, at certain points of the day, it, it roars and spews mist. And it was, you know what? It was just fucking awesome. It was just, it yeah, was just so fun. It was just amazing. great. We both had such a good time. And Gracery itself, the hotel, other than the Godzilla appeal, is fucking gorgeous. The the bath. The bathtub, Ross. I know you enjoy a good bathtub. It was I do like a it good was, bath. It was huge and it was it wasn't only huge, it was so fucking deep. It was so deep. And like the bath and shower was its own separate wet room all to its own. You're not sharing Aww. that with, you're not you're not sharing it with the toilet or the sink. Um, oh, that's it, that's nice. Huge, that's big, a luxury. Huge bath, and we had this gorgeous view just looking out over Shinjuku and the wider Tokyo wards. It was just the whole time there was surreal, but in the best possible way. And we did other, we did lots, we did lots and lots and lots and lots of things. But we did lots of other kaiju things, like we went to the the Godzilla store, which is also in Shinjuku. We went to the Ultraman store. We went to Tokyo Skytree, the second tallest freestanding structure in the world. We did Tokyo Tower. I actually preferred Tokyo Tower over Skytree. Because um, Skytree, the view from the top is so great and so vast that it's actually hard to make it's hard to make out anything. Whereas the view from Tokyo Tower is just nice. It's just nice. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Tokyo, Japan was amazing. Uh, and that sounds awesome. We're, we've definitely got vague plans to go back to Japan at some point. Of we're, course, yeah. But we're we're kind of keen on doing a sort of tour of Japan, maybe from the northern regions, uh, traveling downward. Because my friend Raphael, who was who's been on the podcast, Raphael Coronelli, author of the Daikaiju Yuki series, he's got a new book recently out called Pharaoh of Eels. I'll talk about that a wee bit more later. But and he actually came over from chicago for the wedding and you met him um yes i did we had a great time we did uh but yeah he he did a similar trip like that so i'd like to we definitely like to follow his example and do a trip like that but yeah amazing just being in tokyo uh surreal but in the best possible way and i can't wait to go back 
Hell yeah. Heck and indeed, yep. Yes. Heck yes. But yeah, so t- talk a little bit about the, the, the project you're working on with Raphael, actually. Yeah, I, sh- I should have mentioned this earlier. I realised that, uh, but better late than never. Uh, so Raphael's latest novella, Pharaoh of Eels, which is part of his wider Daikaiju Yuki series, uh, for the first time, he's producing an audiobook version of one of his works. And wouldn't you know it, little old me is the one he's asked to read and perform it. And I'm Bless. actually in the middle of recording that uh, right Well, not right now. Yeah, I'm doing both simultaneously. Right, yeah. Uh, but we've got a good solid amount of chapters locked down already. I'll be recording more tomorrow. Uh, Excellent. Raf is aiming for a nice kind of uh, ambient, immersive experience with it. There's going to be a lot of ambient sound and uh, as well as additional sound effects to accompany uh, certain points of action in the text. Uh, and he's composed an original score. Uh, and I, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not really a music guy. I, 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 I enjoy music a lot. I enjoy the music I enjoy, and that's it. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about in terms of producing music, writing music, mixing music, blah, blah, blah. So if I get this wrong, I'm yeah. sorry, but he's produced a very cool synthy John Carpentery score, main theme for it, which is very cool. And you can hear that on the Daikaiju Yuki uh, social media. Uh, I think he's on Twitter, Facebook, and I think he's still on Tumblr as well. Uh, but it's very cool. You know, we'll, we'll link to it. Um, so yeah, keep an eye out for the Pharaoh of Eels audiobook written by Raphael Coronelli and performed by little old Stephen Sloss. And that, we're aiming to have that out uh, sometime in this current spring period, probably May, sometime in May. That is very exciting. I'm looking forward to hearing it. I can send you a trailer once we're done here. Oh, yes, please. Gimme, gimme. And you know what? Let's have a listen to that trailer right now. It all started with some beers. Boat rocking, waves splashing, bottles emptying. Two boats, 20 people, all masterminded by Nico, man of the hour. It felt good to be able to pull off something like this. There wasn't a lot he was good for, but throwing a party on a boat or two was one of them. What would I do without you, man? Lackey said, beaming in admiration as he leaned against the side of the boat. Make better choices? Nico joked. Nah, said Lackey. Making the trip down here is the best choice I make whenever I do it. (laughs) Whatever you say, man. He laughed off his drunk friend. Hey, you know what I... The right side of Lackey's skull burst open as something passed through it. His eyes rolled backwards and he fell to the side onto the wooden deck, red trickling from the hole in his temple. Dead. Lackey was dead. More bullets pelted the ships out of the mist. Chaos screaming, bodies falling. Then something jumped out of the water. A long, grey streak with teeth lunging right for Nico's face. Pharaoh of Eels Written by Raphael Coronelli Cover art by Alex Gayhart Read by Stephen Sloss So yeah, Pharaoh of Eels coming Amazing. this Amazing. spring on 
audiobook on Audible from Amazon. In your ears. Coming in your ears soon. Anything else, Mr. Mingus? Um, I think we've we've covered the 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 the, the crazy year that we've both had. <laughs> um, no, I mean I think I think we've covered basics, and I certainly have exhausted my. Um, I've revealed to myself that I really have been doing fucking nothing for the last two weeks. Well, uh, you know what? Not... Wait, let's take the opportunity to, to do that where we can. Uh, exactly. Because like, we're gonna look back on this as the halcyon days. Sometimes doing nothing in an enjoyable way is great. Yeah, it really is. Well, why don't we take this moment to um, to reach out to anyone, sadly, who is not work, who is not not working, anyone who's uh, still at their jobs for purposes of it being necessary, or just because their boss is a dickhead. Can we just give our utmost thank you for being out there and doing your shit? Hell yeah! Please listen to us on your shift. Forget what your job is. Forget the customer. Listen to us full blast. I am giving you. Full-throated permission to listen to us at work. If your boss or anyone else gives you grief, fuck them. Fuck them. I'll batter them. Yeah. I will I will batter them. <laughs> at a safe social distance. <laughs> <laughs> a mental battering. Yes, I will give them a, a mental bruising. Barrage. From which they will... <laughs> which they will never recover. <laughs> um, but no, Stephen, I think we've covered this. I mean, I think this was a nice just little catch-up and a nice little jump back into the pool. Hopefully um, anyone that, that listens to this just having seen it in their, their, their feeds isn't going to be too uh, expectant of anything bigger than this. Do you think we may record another down the line? Just touch, touch base. This can be our little uh, dispatch board. Yeah, exactly. Like... We don't know how long this current situation is going to go on for, uh, quite frankly. Um, so we've got time to do more. Um, if you want more, please don't hesitate to let us know. That's not a guarantee. Yeah. That, that's not a guarantee that we will. But um, you but know, it's not a guarantee we'll that we won't. I think um, hypothetically, Ross, if we were to do more, I think it'd be a fun idea to ease us back into doing film discussions and stuff. We could maybe do a wee discussion of Kong Skull Island from oh, 2017 yeah, because not only is it part of the Legendary Pictures Monsterverse, um, in terms of, and if we're including that in the wider Godzilla series, in terms of sheer chronology, it actually would be the next film following on from Shin Godzilla. Oh, well. In there terms we go. of release date. And then after that, you know, if we wanted to do the anime trilogy, we could if we wanted to. And then King of the Monsters. And you know what? If we're getting another year's hosting, Godzilla vs. Kong is tentatively looking at a November release. But I wouldn't be surprised if that gets pushed back. Baby. Um, Let us know if you want any little one-offs or some table swap reverse where I'll show Steven something. I don't know what we'd watch yet, but... Um, yeah, Seven. all that sounds amazing. And I'm sure, yeah, we'll get around to it. We're just going to be lazy and do it whenever. Yeah. So yeah, this has been the return of the Kajasaurus podcast. I have been... Lockdown! I have not been Ross Mingus. I have not been Stephen Sloss. And I hope you've enjoyed hearing us back. If you want to hear more, please do let us know. And as always, you can find us on all good podcast platforms, including now Spotify and Stitcher. 
uh, Apple Podcasts and all your favourite fucking podcast platforms. Chances are, if you're listening to this, you've found us. Good for you. Good for you. And don't forget to keep your eyes and ears peeled for the loathsome Lampton Worm. Done with Pharaoh of Eels and additional projects from your beloved once and future Kaijusaurus podcast boys. And most of all, look out for each other. Be nice. It's hard. Do what you can and stay safe. God bless. Godzilla. If that's your thing. Bless us. Everyone. Yes. See you next time. Bye! If you like